Within a pirate-themed tiki bar, one Uber ride away from what was once the strip mall of the damned. Past the pirate flags and bored waitstaff playing on their cellular devices. Beyond the shrimp buffet filled with shellfish of dubious consumption date. A secret society assembles. To scrutinize those films that drive viewers to madness and disillusion. Draw closer, dear listener and let your trembling ears sup upon the eldritch knowledge of the Cinemania Society. We, we the fellows of the Lenses of Palm do convene to judge if it's offering cinema worthy of our esteem, or whether it should cash out a man worth worth hokum. Let us start our friends and We the fellows The story so far Fleeing from the ruins of the strip mall of the damned, our heroes go literally five minutes down the road to the nearest tiki-themed watering hole. While awaiting poor service and terrible cocktails, they decide now is an appropriate time to talk about Star Wars Substitute Slockfest Ice Pirates from 1984. In a galaxy where water is scarce, a band of lovable TV movie-grade ragamuffins are joined by Angelica Houston, who looks like an erotic Brazilian carnival dominatrix, to steal a big, great chunk of ice. Things do not go well for the pirates, and they end up on the run with a prissy, purloined princess, pursued by a pretty, perfectly pretentious prick and his discount droids. Evil empires, sexy seductresses, and a lot of ice. What's next, you ask? Time to find out. Is that alright, or do you want me to do it again? Yo ho ho, here's your round of grogs and pitcher of margaritas. And more shrimp for you, me hearty. Hi, thanks, Tavern Keep. Noise. Keep it coming. Don't those smell a bit fishy to you? Past the prime. About to turn. Who cares? It's our you can eat. Yes, the fare's terrible, but the uh, portions are excellent. Pay attention. We have a real problem. I ordered scotch with a bourbon chaser. What's the problem? Look at this swill. We're looking. It looks like whiskey with a side of whiskey. Okay, this is clearly bourbon with a scotch chaser. Anyway, back to the map. It must be real. Look how dangerous it will be. All the little skulls with X'd out eyes. Oh, of course. Only a genius could solve that impossible maze leading to the comically large chest of gold coins. A genius, you say? Hey, Professor! What? Take a look at this. Normally I'd say the hidden gold of Captain McBloodgulper isn't going to be a thing. See? Captain McBloodgulper was a lying bastard anyway. All he ever stole was 15 poker chips and a lady's blouse. Ye gods, has he been here the whole time? Listen, I've had a three, three, three rums and cokes, a zombie, a, a grog, and a clam bam thank you ma'am. You didn't actually drink one of those. And they are telling me that this is our time right here. Forget One-Eyed Willie. We got ourselves a real goddamn pirate map. See? I told you! Goonies never never say die! One-Eyed Willie? (laughs) Wait, how did no one ever notice they put an obvious dick joke in a kid's face? Fucking hell. Fine. I give give up. Hand me a grog. Has anybody else noticed that there is a booth full of rough-looking individuals in matching black suits and sunglasses watching us? Oh, you mean the ones wearing fezes, like us, and reading movie trivia magazines? The ones who keep shooting us dark looks? 
yeah, I wouldn't worry about them. Yeah, lighten up. Have a drink or, or some shrimp. Or these... meat? Nuggets? Well, actually, it's pronounced nougais. It's French. Hey, hey, hey. Mansplaining is my thing. <gasps> but, but they could be cinema assassins. <laughs> Unlikely, bro. Have some shrimp. Or, or one of these nougais. <laughs> oh, I do like shrimp. Let me grab one. Hey! There are several sacred things in this world that you don't ever mess with. One of them happens to be another man's shrimp. Now you remember that, and you will live a long and healthy life. <laughs> so, the titular ice pirates are now in possession of some discount robots, which admittedly needs some work, but the pirates are on a budget after all. An even smaller budget than this movie's producers. Hot on the trail, the next lead to finding Princess Karina's lost daddy and the water-filled planet that could free the galaxy. So you're saying that a band of men in possession of a ship and some discount droids must be in want of a weird Wendon in a water world to terminate the tyranny of the Templars. Okay, now you're just getting silly. Muppet prairie dogs on the surface pop up to bid them farewell as they fly off. On the ship, Nanny is concerned the princess has missed tea time. If you don't have your meal schedule intact, what do you really have left in this crazy world? The struggle is real. In addition to the robots, the crew also managed to bring Lanky Nibs, bevy of bebe farm animals, baby donkeys, swipey wipey piglets. Why? Who cares? Just see them drink from baby bottles. Aww! Were the animals, like, really necessary? You're forgetting. Cocaine. Allegedly. Oh, yeah. The ship's cook, Zeno, whips up a feast in the galley with the help of some robotic hands, while the crew lounges at a table and takes up some research on the Seventh World. It seems there is still some debate over its existence. Apparently, travel magazines and books still exist in the future, proving there is still hope for print media. As a side note, it's delightful to hear Ron Perlman doing an impression of a Jewish mother as he prepares dinner for everyone. <laughs> he really can do everything. <laughs> <laughs> He's a triple threat. After Zeno presents his delicious turkey to the crew for dinner, the space herpy bursts out of the bird alien style to terrorize everyone. It escapes down an air vent again. This has been your food safety lesson about the importance of proper cooking temperature. Uh, the upshot is we didn't have to watch John Hurt wallowing around on his back like a trench coat full of broomsticks for a third time. <laughs> yeah, having him do it in Alien and Spaceballs was plenty. Once they reach Weird Wendon's world, you can really see the lavish set design kick in. Just kidding. Lots of dry ice and a few plaster rocks, plus one dead tree. Did I mention all the fog? Perhaps the budget for said design went to the posse of Amazonian warrior women wearing leather and riding unicorns. What else would they be riding? This is a fantasy film. We even get a close-up of unicorn stabbing a killbot. Brutal. These are definitely not My Little Pony unicorns. Oh. My thought is that they uh, reused the steam and dried ice effects from Wizards for this one. <laughs> <laughs> After Jason and Princess Karina are captured, 
dragged off by whips, of course. Kinky. They're brought to Weird Wendon's palace for interrogation and execution. The strange animals motif continues with several servals who are just there to jazz up the place. Maybe Wendon has a fetish for strange animals. A Wendon is waited on hand and foot by the warrior women. Hanky. Death by Snoo Snoo, right? <laughs> Wendon greets his captives with Welcome to the Playroom. And follows it up with several sarcastic, smarmy comments. Played by the peerless comedy writer Bruce Valanche, he is more annoying and weasley than truly menacing, even as he commands his guards slash servants to kill Jason. Roscoe swings in to save the day and dislodges Wendon's head. As it happened, Wendon's only just ahead. Hmm, kinky. Just the tip. But he still has a big mouth. <laughs> His sass and sarcasm make him a great character, even as just ahead. Jason and Roscoe are almost overwhelmed during their fight with the warrior woman. If it weren't so serious, you might just think this was the prelude to an orgy. Kinky! Eh, Tuesday. Hey! I said keep it down over here. Right, I'm sorry. <laughs> Princess Karina grabs a blaster and threatens Wendon's cranium, so Wendon orders his guards to let the ice pirates go. Princess Karina demands to know where her father is, and after a bit of no fucking around tickle torture, Wendon seems to relent. But in a cruel trick, Karina realizes that the person she sees is not her father. Roscoe confirms that it is rather a replicant. I mean, Omega Robot. Well, I'm not going to lie about her chances of finding her father, but she has my sympathy. Back on the pirate ship, Roscoe has taken apart the Omega Robot for clues, but it's Karina who realizes that her dad's ring is missing. And Wendon admits he has it hidden in his mouth. What else does he have in there? Don't ask. Can't get up. I mean, in his defense, where else was he going to hide it? He's just a <laughs> He's got ears. Once Karina pairs her ring with her father's, it creates a hologram. Like in another space franchise. And now, finally, thank Christ, her father reveals the coordinates to the seventh world. We pause for a touching moment. Karina cries. And that it's set course for the seventh world. I think they were hoping we'd be more impressed by this than we actually are. <laughs> yeah, it, it involved a little more. I think that's the theme for the more, whole movie. I think they expected us to be a little more invested than we actually were at this point. What, they're expecting the, the audience to be a more invested than the, the investors invested in the movie? I mean, come on, that's a little. <laughs> <laughs> a new robot joins the crew, rebuilt from the junk robots purchased earlier. Roscoe, our robot engineer, explains that this time the robot is black because I wanted him to be perfect. Standards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next comes the sex scene between Jason and Princess Karina. Jason stops outside the door when he hears some suggestive moaning and snippets of dialogue like harder and don't stop. She was just finishing up with Percy, her robot butler slash protector. Told you he had other skills. Mm-hmm. As Percy leaves, steam venting from his ears. Karina says, I think I overworked him. Yeah, you did. Percy's presence and Princess Karina's entourage is most definitely a sex thing. Attacking intruders one minute, taking care of his mistress needs the next. He really is a multi-purpose machine. So he's a killbot and a fuckbot. But not a merrybot. 
Two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> what was that data set in the next generation? Fully functional. No, oh, and yeah. anatomically correct. <laughs> Just like the Death Star. <laughs> I know. That one takes a second. I always pause and then Daniel. <laughs> Space Lance Armstrong. Jason enters Karina's quarters wearing an open white shirt that would not be out of place on the cover of a romance novel. He orders the holopod in her room to play Passion Storm with the music to match. Apparently, the atmospherics include actual rain, thunder, lightning, and beach surf. The thunderstorm matches their intensity and with clever cutaways to raging waves timed to the sound of their lovemaking. Cue kissing in the rain and other sexy montages. It's like the cover of a cheesy romance novel came to life. The future is here. Leave it to the Templars <laughs> to intrude on a good time, though. Alarms blare, explosions for Zeno puts in his earring. Fashion first. Fucking oh, yeah. A right it is. Actually, I think Percy comes first. Uh, are we going to go chasing <laughs> Percy? And off they all go with Chasen into the time field Lakey Dibs warned them about. Zorn video calls them to monologue about his evil plan. But he really does it just to show off his truly amazing outfit. With the largest shoulder pads yet seen. Even while chasing his enemies, he knows how to make an entrance. See, what did I tell you? Fashion first. Y yeah, okay, I have to give it to you. So, okay, let me take the, uh, the uh, summary from here, though. The Templars attack and board the ship. Suddenly, the time field shenanigans ensue. Time starts to speed up, one day per second, with digital clocks spinning furiously faster. In bursts and starts, beards grow at rapid rates, and all the baby animals on board are now grown up. Yoo! Kinky! Which explains why they're there. Not only that, but Princess Karina is now pregnant. Jason's response to this, by the way, is, sorry about that. Like, really, Jason? A moment later, Princess Karina now has an infant, then a minute later, a young boy. In a bit of dark humor, Princess Karina turns to check on Nanny, but she has turned into a skeleton. <laughs> so Dark. funny. Special effects wise, the filmmakers undercrank the film in certain parts of the extended fight sequence, so they play back at seeming super speed, while other segments are at regular speed. There are also strobe lights and narrow shutter angles, so everything feels like a rage once the E trip has turned on you. And yes, I know exactly what that's like. The fight scenes seem to pass more quickly and jerkily. <laughs> Meanwhile, all of the actors have either been given steadily longer and grayer beards and hair until eventually they're simply replaced entirely by elderly actors in matching costumes. Robots are falling apart too, leaking and causing other robots to slip on their own oil. They also discover that Percy has found and stomped the space herpy to death beneath his impervious metal boot. Because the space herpy had no other purpose in this entire fucking movie. Unfortunately, our brave fuck Killbot is himself feeling the effects <laughs> of senescence and breaks down after his final act of quote-unquote heroism, saving them from an entirely pointless space repeat. May we all be so lucky as to go out after rescuing our friends from Space VD. Huzzah! Yes. Uh -huh. Absolutely. It's a good thing. The now elderly pirates try to swing from ropes and other manner of piratical shenanigans, but they're just too weak and frail now, because, you know, ageism. Killjoy even keels over and just fucking dies. 
Oh, this is a shame because uh, Ron Perlman actually set the record as the being the oldest action hero uh, in Hollywood uh, when he made Hellboy 2. So uh, he put the lie to this. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry. What a what a joy kill. <laughs> oh, God, really? Come on, man. Yeah, be better. So, ancient Zorn is carried in on a palanquin by robots to brag about the Templar victory, and all seems lost. Suddenly, a man who looks like a young Jason appears and defeats the remaining Templars, who are all also old as fuck. Doddering Princess Karina and ancient Jason rejoice that their now fully grown son has saved the day. They also rejoice because it saved the filmmaker's time and money to simply recast Robert Urich as his own fucking son. <laughs> Quick cut to the bridge, moments before the Templar attack, and everyone is young again. They made it through the time field, and everything has reset. Huzzah! Well, huzzah for the Ice Pirates. Woo! Someone on the Templar ship lied about passing AP trigonometry and was off by a degree, so they got lost in time in the field forever. Sounds like a harsh punishment to anyone who's not great at math. You're off by one degree? Well, then you just have to languish lost in a time field forever. I don't care that you showed your work. It worked out great for our heroes, though. <laughs> That's how it actually works in space. One degree is a big fucking deal. Yeah, I know. One degree starts so small, and then it just keeps getting bigger. Q, the seventh world, fabled yeah. planet of limitless water, turns out to be Earth. It hangs in space just below them. What hangs? <laughs> <laughs> it hangs in space just below them. Huzzah! Roscoe pauses, then realizes aloud that this means we, Pice Pirates, are out of business. So much for piracy, I guess. Resolution be damned, credits be rolled. We get a freeze frame montage of the film we just saw. And that's it. Movie's over. The audience is left to handle the come down on its own. That was abrupt. I have a question. Since everything reset, does this mean the space herpy is still alive and menacing the ship? Don't ask questions you don't want answers to. <laughs> yeah, but I still don't get it. Look, it's a simple story. Boy meets girl. Girl loses boy when boy gets arrested and shipped off to a eunuch factory. Girl saves boy from emasculation, only to threaten emasculation as an incentive for boy and his bros to help with their daddy abandonment issues and find seventh heaven. Boy gets girl space herpes for Thanksgiving. Boy, girl, bros follow a series of increasingly pointless leads that point to a variety of variety acts. Girl fucks bot, boy fucks girl, bad guys and killbots board ship and fuck shit up. Everyone fights in a time warp, rendered with cheap special effects and camera tricks. Girl, boy and bros arrive at the seventh world while all the bad guys die off screen in a horrific temporal accident. It's the same tired story we all may or may not have seen a million times before, depending on whether or not we have actually ourselves been trapped in an infinitely repeating temporal anomaly. I love you so much, Andy. So... What was the point of the space herpy? Ah, the tragic comic hero of the movie. <laughs> I don't think you were watching the same movie as the rest of us. Uh, those guys in the fezes, they're really staring daggers at us, folks. Oh, stop worrying. I'm calling another break. I need to pee. These bottomless margaritas go right through ya. Alright. Let us briefly adjourn so that Hope can again pee. Monkey uh, actually, comes out as powder. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to cut here? Wow. wow. I was going to make a Thimbalina joke. Sorry, but guys. Nope, it is unnecessary. You win, sir. You win. 
Claw Creek cross here at Dismemberment Bay then solve the puzzle of beach blanket bingo here and then we you know at first I didn't like this plan but I've nearly finished this whole picture of margaritas you know what I think this plan has legs you going back for more shrimp. I think you may have exceeded their limits on refills. What? I thought this was our you could eat shrimp. Ah, uh, yes, but in the small print it notes that uh, greedy deckhands will be keel-hauled after their fifth plate. I am so glad I put that in there. Well, I happen to have a sticker here from the waiter that proclaims me an outstanding first mate which makes me an officer, no mere deckhand, so I can get another plate of fucking fried shrimp. Hmm, seems legit to me. It's a really big sticker. And gold print, so you know it's legit. More crog and shrimp for me and me salty crew. No ho ho at once, me hearty mates. These nerds better be big tippers. We want the finest shrimp of humanity. We want them here. We want him now. You come to the wrong place, buddy. All right. Now let's move to judgment. Okay, Ethan, take it away. Well, even if the creatives were doing coke while making this film, and by if we mean definitely, allegedly, but the movie doesn't feel cokehead in, say, the way that, like, I don't know, Buckaroo Banzai does, which... <laughs> honestly feels like being trapped in a bathroom at a Hollywood house party by a screenwriter who's just done the entire eight ball without sharing and who has a hard-on to spend the next two plus hours telling you about this really rad new screenplay. Oh my God, this is amazing. Either way, both came out in 1984, so just saying. Um, Ice Pirates takes a lot of shots at a lot of stuff and not all of it hits or is ever really fully resolved. And that's okay, because... <laughs> You're there to enjoy the ride. Um, like, take the space herpy. I remember not understanding the space herpy bit as a kid and filing it away as something that might make sense when I was an adult. But now that I'm an adult, it still doesn't make any more sense. <laughs> In fact, I would say that kid me thought the space herpy joke was funnier because it was just, like, weird and unexpected. And as an adult, like, I can analyze it, and I get that they're probably trying to poke fun at 1979's Alien, what with like the leathery egg and the way it bursts out of the turkey, like it burst out of John Hurt. Um, and they're they're clearly mashing it up with with like the greatest scourge of the pre-HIV disco scene, as well as the idea that pirates all have VD or whatever. But you know, anyway, it's a it's a whole big mishmash of ideas that kind of none of them really make sense unless you're allegedly high. Um, kind of kind of like a child's joke. They know these things are funny, so they try to put them all together, and it doesn't always make sense. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, well, it's just... And, and they just need to say it louder, and it gets funnier. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, add more to it, and somehow it makes it more interesting. 
Um, but anyway, with my adult sensibilities and knowledge of the world, the whole thing with the space herpy just seems kind of muddled and it just contributes to the overall coked out vibe of this movie. Um, and actually even more so because it never really gets fully resolved. Again, like when you're talking with a coked out screenwriter in a bathroom who can't seem to hold a narrative for longer than four or five minutes before switching to the next really fucking awesome thing. Or a coked out child. Not anything I've ever been around. Not anything I ever hoped to be around. But eh, speak, speak from experience, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, another thing, this film is a ripoff, but it really leans into being a ripoff in a way that says, you want swashbuckling space opera? I'll fucking show you swashbuckling space opera while gleefully thumbing its nose at its more commercially successful predecessors. Um, even though most of the cast weren't A-listers at the time, um, they many of them went on to become A-listers, and they all give really enjoyable performances. And they're all supported by the weird, outrageous marginalia like the redesign factory and the, the skull roller, although I don't think I called it that. Um, the space herpy, like I mentioned. Um, dudes dressed as robot doing the robot. <laughs> Um, the space disco feel of the whole thing. All of this works together to lend Ice Pirates a degree of character that make it stand out from the background of all the dozens of other pulpy sci-fi ripoffs from the 80s that were desperately trying to capitalize on the popularity of another <coughs> cosmic conflict. Uh, the brass balls on this one make it a success where the others failed. And to me, that's fun and memorable. Therefore, I deem it guilty. All right. Andrea, what do you think? Um, I actually really enjoyed this movie. I thought I had never seen it before. Um, but then when I started rewatching, I, there were certain key scenes that I remembered, like the bar where Maida cuts that pirate in half when she, Princess Karina does not want to dance with him. Uh, especially the table getting chopped in two is especially memorable. And of course, the redesign factory and the conveyor belt scene. Uh, were very. I saw them and I said, oh, I've seen this before along with the sales floor and the white leotards, um, stamped themselves on my psyche upon first viewing. <laughs> Horrifying, perhaps, but you know, definitely memorable. And um, the fact that those scenes lived rent-free in my brain, despite me not realizing they were from Ice Pirates, uh, most certainly hints at the cinemania I suffered on an otherwise unremembered first watch. So despite my enjoying the movie, I have to judge it guilty. Hope. What do you got for us? So, like all the movies we've scrutinized so far, I'm very glad I didn't try to watch this one sober. It's a fun movie, but, like, it's fun in the way Spaceballs is fun. A campy parody of campy homages to other films. Like, I especially love how blatantly and unapologetically they reuse not only tropes, but actual scenery, props, and sound effects from so many movies. It's, it's like they just picked up everybody's leftovers, you know, like, let's make a collage, glue it all together. The costumes are just, they're so campy and so fun. That that was a highlight. I, Angelica Houston's birdcage shoulder pads, those should have become as iconic as Leia's buns. But that said, I've heard more coherent stories told by my five-year-olds, so this film is absolutely guilty of cinemania. It reminds me of when my children are trying to tell me a story and they just keep throwing in new characters and, oh, but then this happened. Oh, and, and, and. And so then, and then. Guilty as fuck. Daniel, I'm afraid to ask, but what do you think? Uh, so I can't say I was a 
huge, huge fan of this movie in the, in the sense that I enjoyed watching it. Uh, I think that if it had simply said Mel Brooks's Ice Pirates at the beginning of it, I think that would have really covered for quite a lot of ground of all the gaps and weirdnesses and episodic nature of it. And I'm not even talking about, oh, if Mel Brooks had done this, it would have been a better movie, which is the case, right? Because it had a lot of aspects of it that felt kind of like you would expect from a Mel Brooks film where like, it's just little bits hanging together barely off of a, like a satirical framework. But like just literally slapping the two words, Mel Brooks's in front of this thing would have been a big help. It was hardly the only ripoff and or satire of the movie that shall remain nameless. And I'll be honest, I had seen this before and it didn't stick in my mind particularly at first. Um, and I don't feel like it stood out in any particular way in many cases. And I know it's as inane as it is. So I was really leaning towards not guilty, but then I realized something. Um, and this is, I think, I think Professor Andrea hit it best that it's stuck in her mind. And why is that? Because it's cheap. And I don't mean cheap to make, but I mean cheap to syndicate. This was one of those movies that they played over and over and over again every like Saturday afternoon on TV when they were just looking to fill space, right? So this is one of those, you turn it on and suddenly you're, you're halfway through the, you know, the, uh, the scene where they're just like hacking off everybody's bits and tackle uh, and stuffing them into white leotards. So in that respect, like this thing had so many opportunities to get that just completely coke addled, who needs a plot mentality into our minds. And, and therefore was a cunning, cunning vessel for Cinemania. So I have to name it guilty. So you're saying that um, HBO could have almost been called Hippio or H-I-P-I-O. Um, uh, HBO being short for Hey Beastmasters on. It could have been Hey Ice Pirates is on. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, HBO did some of that. But no, no, no. This, this would have been the kind of thing that was on like NBC, ABC, Fox, like way bad this was definitely network television fair for the most part because uh, they don't curse that much and it's easy enough to cut out the truly offensive bits probably you know i do remember it they even included the space herpy bit they just never named it <laughs> i'm pretty sure though the robot the the pimp master 5000 he got cut <laughs> yeah of course he did i cut well, you bitch well, because of the because of the literal sex being displayed on his like well, on his it was, chest. I went back and looked at it, and I was like, "Oh wow, there's not. It's not actually pornographic. In fact, she's not like she's not naked at all. It's uh, just, yeah, no, no, it's softcore. But you know, no, I mean, well, I mean, softcore usually means boobs. There's no boobs. It's just you know, she's just kind of petting herself in kind of a, a V-neck top or something. Yeah, I mean, they, that, yeah, maybe it got pretty cut. sure that got cut, but you know, well, Bob, don't give up the sugar for free, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right right um yeah and i know usually my role is to look for some kind of like even in the less obvious films like some mystical or occult or like esoteric meaning or accidental or otherwise i'm not finding it in this film <laughs> like it's just not there fair point So, 
I'm starting to finally find my place where I'm coming from with the judgment because I have what I like to call terminal game master brain where I evaluate media on the merits of its interactability. Um, so I want to say that, first of all, I definitely enjoyed this. It was really, really fun. And especially, do not watch this film sober. Don't watch it sober. Do not ever do that. Um, it's so much more fun, um, also with friends, and also just experiencing this just absolute amalgamation of chaos on the screen, which is absolutely fantastic. And yeah, it's ripping off of everything, and that's good. Um, it's very, it's very much pulpy, and um, as I add more uh, systems to my repertoire, this definitely reads like a dungeon crawl classics, sci-fi, uh, cyberpunk, just mashup of everything. This reads like a bunch of like 15-year-old guys gathering around for a tabletop, and they come up with the edgiest characters possible, and everything is just super over the top and, and blown out of proportion and very much the end then, and then, and then. But the end then is always interesting. They always find a way to make it just extremely over the top, ultimately unnecessary, but just still so much fun to be on the ride. No one, we don't need plot, what do you mean? It's about the characters, it's about the silliness, it's about uh, having sex on a spaceship in the rain, okay? Like. <laughs> isn't this kind of it, 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 I like that metaphor isn't it almost like you know that one 15 year old GM's like heartbreaker homebrew where it's yeah. got everything yes. and it's got rules to cover everything whether you're yes. post-apocalyptic pre-apocalyptic sci-fi mm. opera cyberpunk but you uh, can see the jive retro yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can see all the influences in that GM's just like mashup of everything that they have posters of in their room you know what I mean now yeah. all of these yes. memories yeah. are just going to disappear like tears in spaceship sex rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it, it definitely feels like a GURPS campaign. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, but yeah, from that uh, uh, um, that realm of just the and then, and then, and then, I will deem this guilty okay well i personally love this movie i have a lot of good memories from seeing this in the theater i believe when i was about 10 anyways it hit that perfect comedy meets star wars meets 1970s early 80s flash gordon with a touch of the 1970s, 1980s, Buck Rogers thrown in. I mean, honestly, if they could have got Gil Gerard to star in this, I would have eaten it up. It really does look like the Buck Rogers TV show from the 1970s. Twiggy would be perfect here. It is fascinating now in hindsight, how many actually really big stars are in this hokey little movie about, you know, swashbuckling pirates and ice. And honestly, yeah, the ice could have been anything, but the fact that they were actually stealing ice was amazing. You know, um, your point about Twiggy, like Angelica Houston kind of fulfills the role that Twiggy would have. <laughs> that is true. Uh, sexy Twiggy. I did not think about that. But 
that being said, um, this movie is very dear to me. At the same time, it did give me a certain amount of cringe, even back in the day. Uh, I mean, the whole scene with the nutcracker coming to wrench people's nuts off and the space herpes was disgusting. It actually reminded me of that gross earwig from Wrath of Khan that, uh, anyways, things like that really stuck in my mind. And being stuck in my head means that it is, of course, guilty of cinemania oh god all right andy talk to me i remember an evening some years ago when i was in bed trying to sleep thrashing about with my fevers and agonies and finally when sleep did come i found myself in a nightmare pursued by shadowy figures that reached out to claw and grip at me and like all dreams, I had no knowledge of the outside world. But suddenly, suddenly, I felt myself waking up and the golden light of consciousness drawing me up from that slumber. And in those last moments, as the nightmare faded and I knew that soon I'd be awake again, I just thought, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. And this film is nothing like that at all. This film, I feel, didn't do nearly enough of anything I wanted it to do. It calls itself Ice Pirates. There is not enough ice and not enough piracy. I wanted a lot more of both of those things. And in every scene, I feel like the really interesting stuff was happening either five minutes ago or five minutes after the bit we're seeing. What the hell was going on with Pimpbot that brought him to that place? What was going on with the, the guy who randomly decides he's going to escape, pretend to be a monk, pretend to be a knight? Remember Killjoy? What was his deal? I wanted to know more about that. What was going on with that robot family that was decimated and just left crying in the road and we were laughing and you were laughing and I was laughing? What happened to their broken dreams? All of, this, uh, all of these good things were left out and I feel like the film is almost focusing on the wrong things because there were ideas there and nuggets of something good, but they didn't give us everything they could have done. They didn't go as far as they should have done. It was camp, but not camp enough for my liking. I mean, so I, I do, I do want to ask you something, uh, and, mm. I, and I want an honest answer here. Did you really want to know more about Killjoy? I feel we deserved it. I feel like he could have <laughs> been the film on his own. What was his deal? He was having adventures. He was doing piracy that we never heard about, and we got the, the store brand TV version piracy with not enough swearing and no boobs. I feel like we were ripped off. This film promised so much and delivered so little. I mean, look, look, look at this shrimp, this bottomless shrimp. You think that's a good idea. You think bottomless shrimp is great, but shrimp shouldn't be bottomless. It's wrong. It's bad, and it leads to bad things. We've got all of the basics of a, a great film here, but the, the, the way they've carried it out, unfortunately, leaves me aching and wanting more. And in that vortex of loneliness that this film has led me to, I'm afraid I must find it completely guilty. Okay, uh, we're, we're doing something here. Really, you have an opinion? All right, out with it. Yeah, yes, come on over. We'd like to hear your opinion, please. Come on. Uh, 
Are you nerds talking about ice pirates? Obviously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we are, as it happens. Head of ice pirates? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, some of Robert Urich's finest work. I can't believe he didn't get a Golden Globe nomination for it. Maybe Pia Zadora got it that year. Ice pirates are indeed. Well, thanks for nothing, wait slave. This is why this is a cult that's invitation only, and not just an everybody wander up and you know, drop an opinion meeting happy time. Off you go. Oh, look at that guy, he's great. Yo ho ho, here's your bill. Ah, shit. A bill? Clearly he is suffering from cinemania. Uh, how much does everybody have on them? Hmm, I think I have a coupon in my purse. Damn, it's expired. I found a gold coin under the table. Oh, no, it's plastic. That bad? Oh, that's a lot of numbers. Uh, Brother Andy, any luck on that treasure map? Almost there. And now, when we take the fort's letter from every word in the Kraken Jumble and look at its reflection in the mirror, 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 you can see that it spells out that the treasure is... Is... is? Friendship? What kind of fucking bullshit is that? Wait a second! I still have to do this alone! Damn! Oh man, he's trashing his papers and they trashed my bookstore. My book... Oh, my book. bad. Avast, ye scallywags! Now, according to your bill, you owe $542.27, and you nerds better tip at least 20 goddamn percent. Excuse me, the menu clearly said that the grog was bought on. And I'm gonna tack on another 150 bucks for the table and the plates, plus my tip. Now, see here. Plus my tip. Are you hearing me? It's at 25% now. Uh, of course, of course. Uh, let me just take up a collection from my cohort. Gang, we have a big problem. I'm straight. I'm out of shrimp. Okay, what are we going to do? Most of these waiters look like they actually work on the docks. I think half of them are longshoremen. See the tattoos? Fuck, are they really pirates? Tommy used to work on the docks. Right. Oh, oh, the tones of my home state anthem. Swashbucklers. Privateers, Reavers, and on top of that, we have the cohort of cinema assassins at the other table, waiting to pounce the moment we leave the building. Wait, what? First I'm hearing of it. I have been trying to warn you for the last hour. Silence, you deflated cheese sack. Okay, okay. I think I have a plan. Everyone, just follow my lead. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. 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 Right. Well, the worst that can happen. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yo ho! What? So, do you see those people in the black suits and the blue fezes? Yo ho! Yes. I overheard that they were all going to give you bad Yelp reviews. What? Yo mm -hmm. ho! The scurvy dog. Quick! Out the poop deck. <laughs> poop. Oh, bloody hell. The waiters had real cutlasses. Wow, did you see the size of that fireball? That must have been all the fryer grease in the kitchen. 
Is the restaurant sinking into the river? Ah, now that is a good sign. It'll help with all the fire. But water doesn't put out grease fires. It, it actually makes them worse. Uh, looks like you can put out water with a grease fire, though. Let's just get on this bus. That's fine. on the bus Desk now. Anybody have hand sanitizer? Oh, <coughs> all's oh. well that ends well. Oh my! Oh god! Oh man! I do not feel good. Well, you did just eat a small horse's weight in room temperature shrimp. <laughs> I'm gonna hurl. Not over here. What's past this? God, oh, it's all over my shorts. Bottomless shrimp. That episode of the Cinemania Society was written and performed by Zachariah Burks, Ethan Ireland, Andrea Palladino, Andy Slack, Andre Martinez, and Hope Bravo, with special guests. Miles Miniachi as the board waiter. Produced and mixed and mastered by Ethan Ireland. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Special thanks to Gary Coover and That Name Is for Concertina Music. Sound effects and incidental music courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Visit us at thecinemaniasociety.podbean.com for season one and profiles in Cinemania. We have social media for you to join the discussion. We have a subreddit at r slash the Cinemania Society and a Facebook group. If you like what you heard, head on over to Patreon and throw us a few bones. We love making fun stuff for folks to listen to, but it sure isn't free. Anything and everything helps. The Cinemania Society is a product of the Cinemania Society, LLC.